This morning, we'll discuss John the Baptist's final testimony. And we talk about problems and troubles, and maybe you think you've got a crummy life. If we're basing it on physical stuff, physical things, I couldn't think of a crummier life than what John the Baptist spent. Um, John the Baptist was a special man. Um, well, you know, Jesus' testimony says he's the greatest prophet ever, okay? Um, I won't be able to get into that today because I want to focus a little bit on the man, but more so on his message. And um, again, you know, keep our eyes on Christ. That's, that's what counts. That's the eternal prize. We got it. We've got this, we've got this thing because he's got us. Okay? We're, we're going to be just fine. Now, I want to start out by saying John the Baptist, a, a man called by God. Specially called, in, in, in a sense you might say. He was, how many people are prophesied, other than Christ himself, how many people are prophesied in the Old Testament? Okay, not that many. Not that many. I'm just going to read a few for the sake of uh, time. Isaiah 40, verse 3. And some of these passages are going to pop up being quoted in some of the New Testament passages. So we'll be looking at them. But I just want to get this as kind of a, a bank in our minds as we move on. Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. That's a great passage. Make clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. A little something you might think of. I don't know if you have uh, the JWs come up your front door at all. In their Bibles, and then the quote of this in Matthew 3, where, where Isaiah 40 verse 3 is quoted, in their Bibles, the word for Lord, they have Jehovah. That's they kind of latched on that one. And in Isaiah 43, it says Jehovah. She says, now, let me ask you something. If John the Baptist is making clear the way for Jehovah, and Jehovah in Matthew chapter 3, and it's called Jehovah in their Bible, unless they change it, they'll do that. But the one I got, it's Jehovah. Jehovah being Christ, how do you get around that and say that Jesus is not God? Just food for thought. That's, that's one of those that usually sends them back down the driveway. But anyway, where, where I live now, they've never made it up the driveway, so I don't deal with it anymore. Malachi 3.1 says, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4, again, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, which are the closing passages to the uh, last of the Old Testament books. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And again, this prophecy goes right on through into the second coming. And remember, Jesus 
identified. Remember he says, remember Jesus said, and I'll be paraphrasing, Jesus said, if you would have accepted me, John the Baptist would have fulfilled that Elijah prophecy. Okay? Now, also, if we turn to Luke, and this is some background here for us, but it all it reveals so much, not only about John the Baptist, but our Savior as well. John the Baptist was, all, all, was also revealed to Zacharias, that's John the Baptist's father, by the angel Gabriel. Okay? Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 13 through 19. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be, now check this, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And Jesus even said that. He's the greatest, right? He was the greatest of the, of the prophets. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no, no wine nor liquor, and <clears throat> he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons to, of Israel to their Lord, their God, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And uh, Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And then later on in the same chapter, then there's what, we, what is called the prophecy of Zacharias himself after the birth. Let's look there. Just one, verse six, chapter 1 still. This is one of those big chapters. Chapter 1, verse 67 through 79. And his, again, speaking of John the Baptist, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit. And prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us in accomplishment and accomplished redemption for his people. Okay, just a statement of fact. Redemption is coming. And John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner for that redemption. And then verse 69, he continues and says, And he raised up a horn of salvation in the house of David, his servant. And he, and he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Right there, he's alluding to what is known as the Davidic covenant. Some of you might have heard about that, where the Messiah will sit on the throne of David. Zacharias is alluding to that. And then moves on. Verse 72, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There he's alluding to the Abrahamic covenant, the, the covenant of the, of the land where they, they will live in there. We, we will... Sunday school, we might see that in a couple of weeks about the millennial kingdom that's coming up. News to follow. Verse 76, and now he speaks about John and he goes, 
And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of of our God with which the sunrise is on high shall visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide your feet into the way of peace. And here actually is an allusion to what is called in the, the new covenant. Remember the new covenant? Jeremiah 31. I will put my heart in you. I will give you a new heart. Okay, that's the new covenant. Salvation for the land. Now, we, can, we stay here in Luke for a little bit, and we get to John's ministry, the beginning of John's ministry. Right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, we see John's preparation. In this area, John's preparation, think about this, if this is your... Now remember, we read here, remember back where we just read that um, John said, he is greater than I, he, is, he came before me. He's speaking of eternality. John, humanly speaking, is six months older than Jesus. So by saying he came before me, he's not a guy that doesn't, you know, he didn't lose track of the calendar, okay? So now let's look at verse 80. And the child continued to grow and become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance in Israel. I, I wanted to say that about the six-month thing because when did Jesus start his ministry? Estimates say he's in his 30s, somewhere in the 30s, and, and the, it varies. Well, so would John. And the child, verse 80, continued to grow and become strong in the spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. So as soon as John was old enough, he went and lived in the desert by himself till he was 30-something years old and then went into ministry. Look at Luke chapter 3, verses one, starting verse 1 through 6. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Ituria and Traconus, Chronicus, and Lysanias, and the Tetrarch of Abilene, that's not Kansas or Texas, in the, high priest, in the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. He's been in the wilderness all this time. Easily, you know, 15, 20, I don't know, depending on when he went in there. If he went in at 15, he was there for 15, 16, 18 years, who knows? Long time. And he came into the district around Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to stop there for a moment. Right here is oftentimes what people mistakenly think this was it, the message, just repent, 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 and nothing else. No, 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 no. Remember we read in our early reading, Behold the Lamb of God. And I, I bear witness to the Son of God. Okay? So there was much more to this message, and we'll see even more in, in a bit. In verse 4, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And then 
It goes on for a few more verses in that same, he picks up verses four and five as well in Isaiah 40. Every ravine shall be filled up and every mountain and hill shall be brought low and the, and the crooked shall become straight and the rough road smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And that is what is gonna happen. As a matter of fact, we've been, we've been studying that where it's gonna happen. It's coming, coming soon, I believe, okay? And now, still in Luke, let's get a little bit of introduction to John's message. And here he is at the, at the river baptizing. He therefore began saying to the multitudes that were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Okay, he, remember, he didn't go to finishing school. Okay, he took a kind of direct, <laughs> right to the heart of the problem, you might say. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able from the stones to raise up children to Abraham. And see what many of the Jews, even today, think that they're saved. We're God's chosen people. Their heritage is going to save them? No. No, it doesn't any more than ours are going to save us. Okay? It's only by grace through faith. Verse 9, And also the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, and every tree therefore that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the multitudes were questioned, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, Well, let the man who has two tunics share with, with one who has none, and let him who has food do likewise. And some gatherers also come to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And some of the soldiers were questioned, saying, And so what shall do us? And, and, and what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force, or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with what, <clears throat> what is yours or your, with your wages. Now, while the people were in the state of, of expectation and were wondering, I'm going to stop a minute. Well, they said, well, you got to do this. He's not saying do these works to be saved. What he is, he's following up on what he said, show works of repentance that you've actually turned and you've changed your ways. Do the works that a repentant person would do. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's not saying you do this to earn your salvation. That's, that's not taught anywhere. Now, verse 15, now while the people were in state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he might be the Christ, John answered and said to them, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to untie the thong of his sandals, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And his winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, also he preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod the Tetrarch was, well, we don't need to go that far. That's plenty. Enough, enough of Herod. We'll get to him later. Now, back to John chapter 3. That was the introduction. Okay. John 3, beginning verse 22. Now, John's, in his last testament, now we're in a period of transition. We're going to transition from the forerunner to the Messiah. So John twenty-two thirty, 
Let's look at that very quickly. And after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Let's stop right there for a moment. Let's pick up these three verses first. Now, Jesus and his disciples, what's going on? They, after these things, in the Gospel of John, these things that we're talking about is, remember, Jesus came into Jerusalem. Remember, he, he cleansed the temple. And he had that conversation with Nicodemus. And now, after these things, he went down to the Jordan in the uh, area of Anon. And, and uh, he left the Jews. It says in verse 22, Jesus left to Jesus, Jerusalem and into the, went into the land of Judea. Now, the land of Judea, which is a term referring to the Judean countryside. So he left the town and went down into the countryside along the river. Now, this, this time spent here that he spent there with his disciples was possibly as long as six months, where he would be teaching the disciples, baptizing, and preaching. See, at, the, at this point in time, both John the Baptist and Jesus and his disciples were baptizing people, were baptizing, preaching the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then they go on and, and give that. Now, verse 23 says, And John was baptized in Aon near Salim, because there was much water there. And they were coming and were being baptized. Now, verse 23, John had moved north to Aon, which is believed to be about 25 miles northeast of Mount Gerizim. You can check that on your Bible maps later. And Jesus was most likely just east of Jericho along the river there. So they were close, but they weren't like shoulder to shoulder. They were in proximity. Now John, 30, uh, John 3, 24, where it says, now for John had not yet been thrown into prison. What John is doing there, he's given us a, little, a quick little time frame. You'll read in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, especially in Matthew and Mark, where it, where it says that uh, when John was arrested, Jesus moved left and went into Galilee. Okay? If you remember those early sermons in Mark. Um, <clears throat> and so, and in Jesus' case, on the way to Galilee, he, he made that stop off in uh, Samaria, remember? And talked to them and kept going. So that's our time frame. He had not been in prison. Now, another note on John's life. When John was arrested, and quite frankly, as we read this passage today, John was not out there very long when he was arrested. And he was, he was arrested by Herod and thrown into Herod's prison, his jail, whatever setup he had. And he, you know, he was there for very close to a year. That's a long time. So here's a man that spent who knows how many years in the wilderness, called up out of the wilderness, preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which was less than a year. Then he was thrown in jail for almost a year. And you can understand in the later chapters where when John began to wonder in those months and months in prison, you know, is this the Messiah? Do we look for somebody else? 
you know. But John was just a tremendous man. And uh, again, um, I'll just leave Jesus' commendation of him, that he was the, of all the prophets, he was the greatest. He was the greatest. Now, in verse 25 to 26, interesting in, in John 3, the, John's disciples seem to be concerned about Jesus baptizing. 25, 26 says, There arose therefore a discussion on, on the part of John's disciples with a, with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said, said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have borne witness, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, right there, the, where it says the discussion in verse 25, literally they were having a debate. That same word pops up in um, Acts 15. Remember Acts 15, the, the council at Jerusalem? Actually, let's look there because I want to get a, get a, mainly just for that word that we get the flavor for the kind of conversation that was going on because it adds a little, it adds something here to what we're saying. Okay, 15, 1 and 2, I'll just read it. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others uh, of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders and con- uh, concerning this issue. And that's a huge issue. Early church, first time the church had to get together and, and deal with a problem. And that was, uh, again, the Judaizers uh, were that problem back then. You must keep the law to be saved is, is in essence what they were saying. So they're literally debating the Jew. Now the Jew in there, now the Jew is, this unidentified Jew is most likely a member of the Jewish leadership. Remember back, remember the Jews that were interrogating John the Baptist? Who are you? Where are you from? The people that sent us want to know. Were they sent by the Sanhedrin or who knows? But somebody in authority was sending these people to interrogate John, just find out what's going on around here. You know, in John, in, in Matthew chapter 3, in Matthew's rendering of the baptism, they, Matthew points out that John spoke right to the Pharisees. Luke points out that his voice went beyond the Pharisees to everybody. Who, who warned you, brood of vipers, okay? And, uh, but anyway, it was more pointed in, in Matthew letting us know that uh, John knew exactly who these people were when he was being interrogated. Now, this purification. Why purification? Well, they were baptizing. This, was a, this baptism that John was doing, and Jesus at this time, was not the baptism that we know of in our church age. This was not baptism that we perform as one of the two church ordinances the Lord's table being in the other that's not what this is being talked about here this is a special baptism for that time and that time only that one was instituted by the forerunner continued on by Jesus and that would, it had that very specific short time frame okay as a matter of fact, once Jesus started his ministry, you don't even hear about it much anymore. It's like, it was like the forerunner, get the attention, get people coming, and then Jesus just took over and started, and his preaching took over from that point on. Now, that purification ceremony 
uh, I think it was the discussion of purification, and this is what makes me think this Jew was, poss- was a representative, maybe even a member of the Sanhedrin or a Pharisee or somebody like that. Because they come down, remember how they were big on the little Pharisaic rabbinic traditions? Remember when Jesus used to say, remember when, when the uh, Pharisees were ragging on the disciples, like, how come you don't wash your hands before you eat? Do it in this little ceremony and stuff. And I, Jesus answers, you know, how come you teach for men the word of God? <laughs> That's, and so this is, again, I think it's bordered on this. Like, what, what kind of ritual is this? What are you doing? It's, it's like they were being uh, interrogated again by the legalists saying, hey, we, we, we're, we're the proprietors of all this stuff. You should be listening to us. You know, I think that's where the, the uh, debate came from. But then it turned because they were talking about it. And from there, just talking about purification, then a complaint, complaint came of John's disciples, verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have borne witness. Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. I can't help but pick a, a little bit of um, a motivation of envy here. It's like, hey, what's the deal? We're losing, why? They're all going to him. It's almost like, uh, I, I noticed they didn't even mention Jesus' name when they said this. And it makes me wonder that uh, it might have been just a little bit about envy and what he said, to whom you have borne witness, like insinuating, boy, isn't he being ungrateful by going out there and trying to take over our stuff here? And he said, all are coming to him, which is an exaggerated statement of hyperbole, where he's saying, you know, to Jesus, like they're drawing larger crowds than we are, you know. And as things were going on, that's exactly what was happening. And that was exactly what was supposed to happen. Matter of fact, in in John 4, 1, it says, when therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, okay? Um, <clears throat> it says, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Then he left Judea and departed into Galilee. Right in here. Left Judea, departed into Galilee. Right in this spot here now is where John gets arrested. Right in there. But the point is that, yeah, Jesus was drawing bigger crowds. And that's how it was supposed to be. Now, this is, we go into John's message, verse 27. And again, so far, everything has been introduction. But this is the message that John gave. Again, repent for the kingdom is at hand was kind of like the introduction to his message. Now we're going to look at John's humble response. His humble response. Verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bride. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And so this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. 
And right there, you want to know why Jesus regarded him as the greatest? What a humble man. What a humble man. His guys were cheering him on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, nope. What is going on is what's supposed to go on. That's the message. I must decrease. I must fade away. I must go. He must continue on. He is the Messiah, not me. I am not the Christ. John's made that perfectly clear. I love it. He says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Isn't that the truth? John was, confir- was confirming his subordinate role. He was, he, that's what he was, exactly what he was doing. Look at, uh, back up again, the John one twenty nine. John one twenty nine. the next day, he, that's John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what the Messiah can do. I can't do that. <laughs> I can only point you to him. I, can't, I, I can take nobody's sin away. He can. And um, verse 30 says, This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Much higher rank. I'm a, yeah, I'm a prophet. He's the Messiah. A little bit different, eh? A little bit difference in rank there. And we come to find out, and you go on to his, his testimony continues, and we saw that in verse 34 of John 1. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Clinches it. And we know from other passages when, you, when one says that uh, the term Son of God, uh, well, Jesus was called on the carpet by the uh, Pharisees for, he says he claims, to, by, by claiming God as his Father, he claims to be equal with God. Uh, yeah, because he is. Because he is. That's the whole point. And when John says, he's bearing witness to the Son of God, he was just expressing Jesus Christ is in fact God. So when you see that throughout the New Testament, every time you see that term applied to Christ as being Son of God, I think only one time it's applied to somebody else. And that's in the genealogies applied to Adam. I think in Luke's when he backs up all the way to Adam, in there, the son of God, meaning like he wasn't born of woman, he was made, <laughs> created by God. That's what that's referring to. But everything else, it refers to Christ himself as being son of God. Therefore, equal with God, therefore being fully, truly God. Okay? So that son of God is a statement of deity. I'd like to read Romans 3. Or excuse me, reading, not Romans 3, but reading uh, 3, 28 <clears throat> through 30 again. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. We were just studying the marriage supper of the Lamb. He, that's Jesus, who has the bride, that's the church, is the bridegroom but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice so to this joy this is this joy of mine has been made full he says i'm he says i'm thrilled to be a guest 
Remember the guests at the uh, marriage supper? John the Baptist is going to be one of those guests, a very favored welcome guest, I would say. And then verse 30, again he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. Now John continues teaching from here to the end about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. His supremacy, again, verse 31, is based on his deity. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who comes from above, Anothen. I don't know if you remember that from uh, the discussion with uh, Nicodemus, is in uh, John 3, 3 and 7, with with Nicodemus, it's translated again. You must be born again. Same word, could be translated born from above. Again, my personal opinion on that is that Jesus speaking biblical, spiritual truth was thinking, you must be born from above. Nicodemus was thinking from the earth, born again. In essence, they're both right, but the born from above hits it because where does salvation come from? God. By grace are you saved. That's not something that the earth develops. That's from God himself. Now, the deity of Christ is the theme, as I think we're pretty well assured of, the deity of Christ is, is the theme of, the, of this gospel, John's gospel. It's everywhere. I mean, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then it goes on to describe him as the creator. And it goes on and on. I've got a bunch of verses here and... Uh, no more than 40 minutes, no, no, no more than a couple, 15, 20 minutes to get it done. We're in John, let's look at John 5.18 very quickly. John 5.18, and I'm going to be motoring through here. John 5.18 says, <clears throat> For this cause, therefore, the, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he had not only was breaking the Sabbath... In the, at least in their eyes, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Um, and I'm just going to run right to John 8, a tremendous passage, one that uh, I'll tell you, you read this passage sometimes, it'll, it'll, when you think about it, this passage will give you goosebumps. John 8, 56 Again, Jesus speaking to his detractors. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews, therefore, and again, the Jews in John, the vast majority of the time refers to the Jewish leadership, okay? The scribes, Pharisees, Sanhedrin, the whole bunch. It says, uh, where am I? Okay. The Jews there, verse 57, the Jews therefore said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you, have, and, you have, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Does that term ring a bell at all? Exodus 3, the burning bush. Who should I say sent me and God through the burning bush said I am that I am sent you 
That is who Jesus is claiming to be. It's a good one to remember. Next time you run up somebody, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, what do you do with that? <laughs> and this is not the only place he claimed to be God. And then, you know, where John described himself being of earth, basically, he says, hey, I'm a mere mortal. <laughs> I'm a mortal. I'm a human being like the rest of you. The one from above, that's God coming to earth. He's already made that testimony very clear. Above all, here's again, when, when John, back to John chapter 3, um, <clears throat> when, he, when John says he is above all, what do you think above all means? Above all, as in everything. Okay, and again, what position does that put him in? God. No angel is above all. No prophet is above all. God is the only one above all, as in everything all. Okay? Um, That's why I say, we don't have a problem here that he who is above all cannot handle. He's got this thing. He's got us. Okay? He's got us. And then it goes on to say... um, he, Jesus, bears witness, and no man, re- no man receives his witness. In verse, uh, I'll remove down to 31, 32. Um, he who comes from above is above all, and he who is on the earth is earth. And then verse 32, what he has seen and heard of that which he bears witness, and no man receives his witness. I'll tell you, John as Baptist is already telling us early on that Jesus came and nobody... For the, and for the most part, nobody is listening to him. He is being rejected. In verse 11, remember Nicodemus? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we have seen. That's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. And you, that's you, Nicodemus, do not receive our witness, our testimony. You reject it. And then what's it say? Um, Back in John chapter 1, verse 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And what does it say about the Jews of that time? He came to his own, and his own what? Did not receive him. I mean, this is, this is it. Now on to verse 33. Um, what he has seen and heard and that he bears witness and no man re- and no man receives that was 32 he who has received his witness has set his seal to this that god is true let me say that again make it more clear he who has received his witness has set his seal to this that god is true the witness being the testimony referring to those that believe who has set his seal, that seal being a sign of approval. That is to say, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have set their seal that God is true, that God is true. The apostles would give this, even though they didn't fully understand everything, the, at least the 11, they set their seal. John six sixty six through 69 says this, Remember the big, uh, I am the, li- the, the bread of life sermon 
we rejected at the end. And as a result, verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples, that's the followers, not the apostles, withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. They left. When he says, I am the bread of life, and if you eat this bread, and he, goes, he brings it close home, unless you eat my flesh, drink my blood, and they, it freaked them out. They couldn't handle that. And he, they, so they just stopped from that point on. Phew, they left and never came back. And Jesus, therefore, said to the 12, you do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. Right on, Peter. (laughs) Right on. And for he goes on. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, Peter was like 90 plus correct in everything he said, except for one little detail. Verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not myself choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Oops. Peter, speaking for all the twelve, unwilling to him, misspoke. He didn't, he didn't know that. I can cut him some slack on this one. And now he met Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was the one of the twelve that was going to betray him. And we, we know the story there. We move on and again. <clears throat> again, 33, for he received his witness, he set his seal that God is true. Okay? And uh, quite frankly, what it's saying here is the antithesis of this would also be true. To reject Jesus is to call God a liar. It's that simple. To reject Jesus is to call God a liar. 1 John 5, 9-12 says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he who has testified concerning his Son, the one who believes in the Son of God, has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who, has, he, who, he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. 1 John 5, 9 to 12. And then um, <clears throat> the Apostle John also, uh, in 1 John 1, to 24, he who is a liar, but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, Messiah. That is the... That this is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, <clears throat> let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. So again, the, the gospel. You deny one, you deny them both. Um, and then John 3.34 keeps going where it says, for, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he, <clears throat> for he gives the, Holy Spirit, the Spirit 
without measure. Again, Jesus is described by John the Baptist as having the unlimited power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, as it says here, without measure, without any limitation. I mean, his works prove that. His works prove that. Um, <clears throat> Hebrews 1 says this, uh, 1, 1 and 2 says, uh, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Folks, Jesus is God. It is so clear through this. That's John's testimony right from the beginning of his ministry. That is crystal clear. I mean, and it's supported by the entire New Testament epistles. Well, Colossians 2, 9, and 10, for example. For in him, that's Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete. And he is head over all rule and authority. There it is again, over all rule and authority. That's in heaven and earth and anywhere else that might exist. He's in charge on top of it all. He rules it all. He's the head of all. Then John uh, 3.35 says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, all authority given to the Son. Um, That's all on... You can look at John five nineteen to twenty four, where Jesus claims that Himself. Remember Matthew twenty eight eighteen, the um, Great Commission: All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And based on that authority, He sends disciples, including us, to go out and make disciples. And then John, finally, John three thirty six. Believing in the Son of God is a command. Let's read John 3. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Three big pieces here to look at. Believing Believes, pistuo, to have faith in, that's as in saving faith. The example of that believing command is found in Acts 16.31. Remember Paul and Silas and the Philippian jailer? What did, uh, in response to the Philippian jailer, well, what must I do to be saved? And what did, what did Paul and Silas yell back at him? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now that believe, which is believe, is what they call an aorist imperative. Everybody knows what that is, right? An aorist means to do, an aorist is to do something at a specific point in time. Okay? An imperative is a command. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Everybody that has believed, truly believed, did so at a certain point in time in their life. That's the aorist. And the imperative is out throughout everybody out there that hasn't. That's a command. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you would in fact be saved. There's no other way. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't dig it up someplace and find it. 
You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's believing in the person and work in Christ. And that in, in verse 36 where it says, does not obey, carries the idea of willfully not believing. That's, and it, it, it can be translated obey is, is okay. It's an okay translation here. It's talking about willfully. It refers to those who willfully reject the gospel of Christ. Willfully reject those who disobey reject the command to believe and therefore as it said as it says and but the wrath of god abides on him this is john the baptist this is part of his message this is remember this is all john the baptist what we've read here that's it that was part of his message so i mean you just put in there and i guarantee you it was part of jesus message too when he was baptizing because we can see that all through the four gospels and which carries on into the New Testament letters as well. And so finally, with that thought in mind, I'd like to very quickly, just in case, what do we do now? What do we deal with this? Knowing that belief in Christ, fully believe in him, in his person and work, the whole person and work of Christ, what do we do? Well, I'd like to very I'd like to take about five minutes more, if you would. And um, I'd like to just do a quick overview of the gospel itself. Just in case somebody here is not sure what we're talking about. Let's look at this. First of all, we've got the problem of man. Man is a sinner. All men. And the word man here is like mankind, so you too, ladies. All of us, every human being, sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's a discernment of all of mankind. All of mankind falls in that camp. Now, another problem of man is man cannot earn salvation. Romans 3.20 says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And the word justified means found or declared not guilty. So that's not going to happen. Therefore, God had to step in. Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, grace applied to the human heart produces the faith that saves. And the result of that saving faith is producing the works we were called to produce. See that? That's salvation. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. No, what had to happen? Jesus Christ had to happen. Jesus Christ paid the price for all who believe. For while we're, Romans six, five, uh, Romans excuse me, Romans five verses six through nine, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified 
by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Like Sounds a lot like John the Baptist there, doesn't it? Faith, saving faith in Christ, in him, in his work, in the gospel, that's the difference between heaven and hell. And that comes back to the faith. Salvation is acquired by faith in that person work. Romans 10, 9 to 11, and we'll end with this. <clears throat> that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And again, it's the heart. This is not a head knowledge. This is a heartfelt faith. It's not saying, oh yeah, yeah. It's not saying the magic words in a homemade prayer. This is heartfelt conviction of sin, repent, repentance. It's all there and all that faith. For verse 10, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, created unto good works, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, and this is a a tremendous promise, don't lose this, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That is the word of God. You will not be disappointed. You may be confused, you may not know what's going on, but if you truly believe with your heart, you know you're a sinner, you know you need a savior, if you truly believe with your heart, Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And I'll tell you what, today we're having a potluck dinner. I guess we should say it's it's not luck, it's providence. But uh, unless you get sick, then I don't. (laughs) But but during the time in there, hey, you know, if if somebody feels they want to talk about it, you know what, I've got nothing better to do than to talk to you about that. You know, so if, if you want to, you, you don't understand some things that, hey, go ahead and ask away. So, let me close in a word of prayer and then the men will come and take the collection. <clears throat>